this is guaranteed to be one of those times where my buddy Dan Mahar says, thank goodness we do this podcast virtually. I'm in my home, Dan's in his home, and he can be completely free and clear of the place that I'm living right now, which smells of the most unholiest aroma, odor. It's not an aroma that I've ever smelled. Super Bowl ends, dog goes out for its final break of the evening. And about three minutes later, I cannot even describe if you've ever had your dog skunked or you've been near a skunk so shortly after it releases whatever that unholy odor is. The most ridiculous thing. So we're still trying to work it out of the house, Dansky, but hey, we're here and let's, uh, and the poor dog, let's not even go there. Oh my God. Kids, don't get pet. No, have dogs are the best, but wow. Wow, wow, wow. I'll just start right there. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were going to describe the stench of the Toronto media trying to trip over themselves to justify Riley's cross check, but that's a different story. We will. <laughs> Hey, hang on a second. You don't take a slap shot into an empty net. It's an empty net. Who cares? Are you kidding me? Who cares? You want to start there? Do you want to go right there from skunking my backyard to taking a slap shot into an empty net? Does the punishment fit the crime? Probably not. But you don't do garbage like that. And that's what that was. It was garbage. It, it, it It was minor league showing up the other team, maybe. But you see that on a weekly basis. I'm just not sure why this one's so offensive, but yeah, you don't do that. I wouldn't do that. Probably shouldn't do that, but let's not kid ourselves. The, uh, when else the do you see, is... <laughs> when else do you see this ha- on a weekly basis? Get your head out of your dairy. Jake Wallman did the gritty the same night after scoring the shootout winners. That showed up your opponent. Okay. Yeah, so that's I mean, two, that's two examples now in, in the same week. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just saying it. I don't like hijinks. I don't like showing up your opponents. I'm not I'm not cool with that, but I'm saying at the end of the day, the guy fired the puck in an empty net. Let's let's get over it. But anyway, um, that's I digress. I, I don't disagree with that. And I started on a tangent anyway. Uh, again, don't shoot. Don't take a slap shot in an empty net. OK, and absolutely don't cross check people into the face because there's no justification for that. Even if somebody does do something as outrageous as take a slap shot into an empty net. And I realize how outrageous it sounds for me to say that was outrageous because on the scale of zero to outrageous, a slap shot into an empty net probably doesn't qualify as outrageous. Anyway, I'll take you back to the mere mention of the Super Bowl. And as we remind you, Dan Mahar, that this is, of course, the OHL podcast, my question for you is this. If Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs took on the London Knights in a football game. Would the London Knights win that too? And would Taylor Swift show up? That's all I want to know. Holy buzzsaw in the Forest City right now. Well, I I think that when you play against Patrick Mahomes, you find a way to lose somehow, like missing a point after. So I don't know if this would have, this affliction would affect London, but you're right. What a, uh, they're they're a bit of a, a buzzsaw right now, are they not? A bit would be an understatement from where I'm sitting. 21-0-0-2 in their last 23 games. They have not lost a game in regulation since December the 10th. So checks calendar. That's more than two months ago. Christmas break notwithstanding. But the last regulation loss came up in Sault Ste. Marie in the quote-unquote game that got dragged into the gutter. It was a 5-4 loss to the Greyhounds and London has not lost in regulation since. Interestingly, at least from where I'm sitting, 
you pick up the points, obviously, in the shootouts. But they're shootout losses. We're back-to-back losses for the London Knights in the midst of this wonderful streak that they're on. And they come against, of all teams, the Erie Otters and the Peterborough Peets. When a young goaltender gets his first OHL win, Easton Rye made 46 saves to win that shootout for the Peets. But in last year's OHL championship rematch, nonetheless, all of that aside, 23 games with points. The London Knights at one time trailed the Kitchener Rangers by double-digit points in the Western Conference in the Midwest Division and now lead the Kitchener Rangers by double-digit points in the Western Conference and the Midwest Division. It's absolutely bananas land. And when I look at it, I'm thinking, where does it come from? There's a lot of talk there about the culture of the team, and there's no question that there is a deep-seated culture in London and you're at the point of the season or you got to the point of the season in mid-December when this all started rolling that players were getting accustomed to the culture they were buying into what Dale Hunter preaches etc etc but 23 straight games with a point 21 of them victories come on it's not not the least of which was their most recent right they close out the weekend coming back from three nothing down in the third period and win it 4-3 in overtime. Again, bananas from where I'm sitting. Yeah, and it speaks to the role of motivation and preparedness, does it not? Like you look at that streak and you talk about the two extra time losses in the entire streak and you talk about it being a soft spot in the schedule with Peterborough. And I mean, I certainly don't want to disrespect the Erie Otters. They're they're surprising a lot of teams. They were my dark horse in the West and they're kind of proving that they are. So I'm not saying that's a bad loss, but in London's mind, they might have looked particularly at the Peterborough game and said, that's a bit of a soft spot. So maybe their motivation preparedness wasn't quite where it had been throughout the streak. And then you see that game you just referenced down three, nothing going into the third. I mean, that's all motivation preparedness. there coming into that third to say, you know what, we don't want this streak done. We're on a roll here. We're going to pull this one out. And when you start thinking you can win every night and you do the little things and you put in the work to do it, you can do it. So it's a, it's a, it's a great example for anyone watching that, you know, if you come to play, and you you bring it. You, any team can beat any team on a given night. Just don't undersell your uh, your abilities. You just said something there that I think is really key to all of this, and that is work. And I'm going to stand by again that there are more skilled teams than the London Knights. I'm not trying to whiz all over the skill that they do have because they've got plenty. Hello, Easton Cowan. Hello, Denver Barkey. Hello, uh, Oliver Bonk and others on that team. But pound for pound, I would probably take the skill set of some other teams over that of London. But the work ethic, and that's one thing that you hear about the Hunter brothers, they've got that old farmer's mentality of up early, working sooner than everybody else, etc. And there's no question that it translates onto the ice. These players pick up their lunch pail, their tool belt, whatever goofy cliche you want to use. They show up to the rink, they get to work and it's just lather, rinse, repeat the same old London nights. And I don't know about you, Dan, but I'm, I'm thinking back and I forgot to look this up and I'm sorry. Uh, it just popped back into my head now, but it was a couple to a few years ago. The nights started one and seven, if I'm not mistaken, something one win in their first seven or eight games. And everybody thought, Ooh, and that was a year that maybe London was going to be a little bit better. And everybody thought, okay, now here's the down year. London this year didn't start that poorly, but it was kind of middle of the road until maybe middle of November. And then all of a sudden, somebody found the keys to the rocket ship, and here we are. Yeah, and just a quick point on the the skill thing that you mentioned, Mike, is 
it's not a linear progression through the season. So the, the skill level of a team in September is not necessarily what the skill level of that team is in March. And what I'm driving at is the London Knights improve their players from a skill standpoint consistently throughout the year. you got to give them that. And when you look at where they were in September and October to where they are in January, I would argue every single player on that team is more skilled than they were. So it's hard to evaluate and to say, well, yeah, on paper back, back at the start of the year, they didn't look like one of the more skilled teams, but now are they? Because I watched that London Knights team perform a number of games over this streak. And let me tell you, they don't miss passes. They, they swallow up every pass they're in, they work to get to the right spots. Like you just referenced. They don't, they don't daydream on the ice and fall asleep and end up eight, 10 feet from where they should be. So it's that mental engagement throughout, but it's the bearing down on the skill plays. The pass is to the tape. When the pass comes to the tape, it doesn't bounce off the stick. It's swallowed up. Like So those, that skill point, I just want to acknowledge that if you practice properly, you work hard and you work on the details, that you can be more skilled come February, March than you were in September, October. So I would argue that London always moves up a couple notches on the skill ladder as the season progresses. Special teams are also very special for London this year. And don't even get me started on that penalty kill, which has been absolutely off the charts and may well be redefining the way teams approach the PK in the years ahead. We'll see, because I think there's something and we've talked about this before that may have been exploited in other teams, just the way that they are so aggressive. And then the minute they have the puck, they're thinking offense. They're going to have somebody blowing the zone and heading down the ice to try to capitalize offensively, even while killing off a penalty. Okay. I spent my weekend in the Eastern conference and I can tell you that all of the talk in the Eastern conference where I spent my weekend was about Connor Lockhart and the Oshawa Generals. As we know, Connor Lockhart has been suspended indefinitely by both the league and his team for violating team rules and the code of conduct. Durham Regional Police are involved, though they're not saying anything about the level of their involvement at this point. Regardless, you go from a great streak and a great story to talk about in this league to something that everybody that likes junior hockey would rather not talk about. What do you make of the Connor Lockhart situation in Oshawa? Well, yeah, you see, when you don't know all the details, and I got to be careful to say I don't, uh, I heard rumblings of, of an off-ice incident past curfew that occurred with a few of the players and the generals, and whatever occurred, obviously Lockhart was the most egregious uh, actor in the bunch. Having said that, you run the spectrum of opinions here as oh, teenagers will be teenagers, all the stuff that these players got into in the eighties and nineties. And, and then you got the other end of the spectrum when you see the hockey Canada stuff and, and how bad it can get unchecked and unfettered and that we want these, these kids to be good players. So not knowing where this falls on that spectrum of, of egregiousness, we'll call it. Uh, I, I don't want to comment on the specifics other than to say it's another cautionary tale that, these are teenagers. You have to make the wrong decisions. You have to provide the, the good role modeling that you want in these communities. And the fact that the Durham Regional Police are involved is obviously not a good sign because you have a team that's rolling in the right direction. They've been playing really well for the last uh, last several weeks, if not a couple months. Uh, Callum Ritchie's just lighting it up. So you look at the commitment you have to your teammates. And for me, when you're in a team environment, whatever your urges might be in your off-ice off life, you got to contain it for the sake of your teammates, right? Because when you're on a team and you're operating on a team, whatever you do reflects upon them and potentially harms them down the road. So whatever this is, let's hope it's it's not serious. There weren't any serious victims. 
But uh, I, it's just a shame with how Oshawa was going that there's a taint on it uh, based on this incident. Yeah, and I think that your your point around being a member of a team, I would like the herd mentality here, if you will, to sort of work in everyone's favor in this regard. You know, here's how we conduct ourselves as a team. This is the standard of behavior we are setting for ourselves as a team. Thou shalt not deviate from that standard of behavior. So I agree with you on that point. The other thing that you said that strikes me is sort of that spectrum. And believe you me, I wanted to believe, because Connor Lockhart is an overage player. He's 21 already, so he's well within legal drinking age in the province of Ontario. And I was really hoping in my heart of hearts that this would turn out to be something where there was some sort of drunken disorderly after a night out, whatever, that could involve police. What concerns me right now, Dan, is that police aren't saying anything, which is fine. You wouldn't expect them to because they have to make sure there is enough there there to lay a charge. So until they get to that point, they wouldn't say anything. And, and make no mistake about this either. Connor Lockhart isn't being treated special because he's a member of the Oshawa Generals or the Canadian Hockey League. This would be for any individual that runs afoul of the law. There's a complaint, and now police have to investigate the complaint. But that's what worries me a little bit about this being more than something along the lines of drunken disorderly. It would make it sound to me, and again, I'm just going based on what I know from working in news media for a couple of decades now, it would sound to me like somebody had a substantive enough complaint about Connor Lockhart that they took it to police and now police are doing their due diligence. So I'll say no more. I won't get into the rumor mill was, I'll tell you what, uh, grinding pretty hard uh, in the Eastern Conference where I spent my weekend, but I'm not going down that rabbit hole at all. We will wait to hear what Durham Regional Police have to say. If they say anything, I guess what would happen is we'll find out if any charge is laid and then what that charge looks like, we can perhaps redress it then. The unfortunate part about this, as I already alluded to, is you've got a really great story right now with a team buzzing right through the entire league. You could be talking about that. You could be celebrating that, which we started this episode of the OHL podcast with, but you can't hide from a story like this. And it's really too damn bad that we have to talk about it. So here we are. Yeah, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the bottom line for me is that you've got a team here that was really turning things around, doing all the right things, was potentially going to be a big story in the East. I'm not saying they can't be now, but when you have a top-line center, overage player, big scorer that you've acquired, that's a big part of that, that you now haven't been able to play for a couple weeks because of code of conduct issues, I mean... That's if you, you put it in the terms of reference of a suspension, if a player were to be suspended for a couple of weeks, it would be a pretty serious on ice event. So for the team to sit him out, obviously, whatever it was, was not good. And you just can't have those not good things happening at this time of year or any time of year, really. So again, it comes back to a point we've addressed many times on the pod, Mike, just be good humans. That's the remind yourself of that daily. And hopefully teams are starting to get the message under the overall hockey Canada umbrella we know there is a culture that needs to be changed here and wouldn't it be great if the overriding theme of that culture is be a good human be a great hockey player and be a great human 
while you're at it, if you wouldn't mind too much. It's really too bad too, because we've both talked about the Oshawa Generals at different times over the last few weeks on this podcast, really liking what we're seeing from them in the Eastern Conference, a team that could certainly disrupt. And they may well still do that. You mentioned Callum Ritchie, Beckett Seneca, others on that team are full value right now for the Oshawa Generals, but the loss of Connor Lockhart is absolutely a loss on the ice for the hockey club as well. But that's clearly the secondary, maybe even the tertiary part of this story. All right. We learned something in the past week or two in the Ontario Hockey League. And this one had me raising an eyebrow and asking a few questions. We all know that in its efforts to crack down on fighting, the Ontario Hockey League has introduced a threshold for the number of fights. And and that threshold started at 10 and slowly came down, actually pretty quickly came down from there to the point where we're at now where you can have three fights in a season if you like, but for every fight after that, so numbers four, five, and so on, you are going to be subject to a suspension. And that suspension will increase depending on the number of fights above three that you go. What I did not know until recently, and I think what we all have learned and maybe raised an eyebrow about, is that there are penalty thresholds for other infractions. Hello, Owen Protz, who exceeds the penalty threshold for boarding. Hello, Ryan McGuire. So Protz now with Brantford and Ryan McGuire of the Guelph Storm has exceeded the penalty threshold for checking to the head. And both players earned themselves suspensions for exceeding that threshold that I don't know about you, Dan, but I had no idea existed until very recently. Yeah. And you know what? On principle, I love it. I mean, I think when you take dangerous plays in hockey and we just ran down the gamut like fighting sure uh boarding and head checks would be the other two correct so you're identifying what are dangerous plays in hockey and when you have a pattern of behavior you're saying that player no you're gonna have to sit out and think about your style of play because we can't have this recurring otherwise comes back to liability again right we had a player who established a pattern of boarding and oh, oh, God forbid, now someone is seriously hurt on a boarding penalty. We didn't properly deal with it. We're exposed. So a lot of these decisions tend to come from that standpoint of liability. I think, Mike, the, the Board of Governors meets and says, you know what, we're kind of exposed here if we don't do something. So at least we can have a measure in place that says there's a threshold. These players know. They know they can't do these things. So on principle, I love it. My only complaint is what you just ended with, which is, just let us know. We didn't know until we see this in the in the notes that there's a threshold. So where's the harm in just publicizing this, putting it on show, social media or putting a note out to the teams? Here's the threshold. But the public know. The public follow this league. They're interested. They'd love to know why or what the rules are. So just, just let us know. Do you know what the threshold is? I, I guess five, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the thing. So can I put on my tinfoil hat here for a moment? Is that okay on this episode? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So... When I put on my tinfoil hat, to your point, because fans should know about this, media should know about this so we can report on it and keep fans informed. And when I put on my tinfoil hat, I I wonder if this sort of information is not shared publicly and widely because we want to do our utmost to maintain the image of the Canadian Hockey League as a squeaky clean safe place for you to send your 15 slash 16 year old kid to play the game that's my tinfoil hat I I really think I, I would like to believe we've moved past that but here's what I've learned since these thresholds suddenly came into play number one is the teams know about them and the league informs the team 
when a player is either approaching or has reached said threshold. So the teams are all well aware of this. Again, it begs the question then why the rest of us don't get let in on the little secret here. The other thing is the threshold is exactly the same for fighting. So once you, you can have three, once yeah. you hit a fourth, you're out. So Owen Protz took his fourth boarding minor, off he went. Ryan McGuire is a really interesting story. And I guess as a guy that lives 20 minutes away from the city of Kitchener, I'm not paying enough attention to the Guelph storm because Ryan McGuire got his fourth penalty for checking to the head. So that brought about his suspension. He picked up a penalty, McGuire did, in each of his first seven games in the league this year. Two of those were for the old mouth guard violation. Remember mouth guard gate last year we had so much fun with when it all of a sudden appeared as a rule? And then the first checking to the head penalty for Ryan McGuire came in game number seven. Not only, though, has McGuire reached or exceeded the threshold of three for his checking to the head, but by my count, because as I was going through this, I thought, geez, Ryan, you, you, you take your share of penalties, buddy. Okay, I get it. Uh, he appears to be at his max for boarding now as well, having taken three, including a major. He appears to be uh, at his max for fighting. I, I know he was instigated upon once, but he, he might already be at that threshold too. And he's got one I hadn't even heard of before, which was called a PS foul from behind. I guess maybe a penalty shot foul from whatever it was, but a foul from behind. Either way, Ryan McGuire might want to take just a bit of like just file down those incisors a little bit buddy and bite a little less hard but oh my goodness anyway the, the moral of the story is the teams know the players are informed and the threshold is three i just think the league yeah. could do a better job of keeping the rest of us in the loop on that yeah and i probably should have guessed three based on the fighting uh threshold but <laughs> however yeah it's does that make ryan mcguire a triple crown winner i, I don't know <laughs> i just but but yeah when when you uh your initial point about the tinfoil hat, I actually don't think it's tinfoil hatty at all. I think that is kind of the mindset is that we don't want to publicize the downside. I'd take the opposite approach though, if I were them. And I'd say, if you're trying to project an image of a safe league where for you to send your kids to, why not broadcast that you have harsh penalties for these things? We're not going to tolerate it. That's what it, that's my takeaway when I hear these things. So I'm not sure why you wouldn't want to hear that from the league. I'd be much more concerned if I was sending my kid to a league where I'd, didn't know is it the wild west like what's going on here so so yeah and of course when you see threshold exceeded show up in the game summary every fan that reads those is going to say well what's the threshold what's this all about so they're going to ask anyway they're going to see it right there like we did so anyway i i, I would just take the opposite approach but i don't think it's tinfoil hat for you to suggest that, that that's their thinking from our lips to the league's ears we bring out information at the beginning of every year about rule changes etc everybody that follows this league knows the thresholds for fighting just make us aware of these things dan and i have figured this one out the threshold is the same for checking to the head and boarding as it is for fighting are there are there others uh, ryan mcguire has a charging penalty to his credit too do those are those going to factor in so what are the penalties where there is a threshold and is the threshold three like it is for fighting. I don't think that should be too much for the league to communicate to the rest of us. And if I keep that tinfoil hat on for a moment longer and bring up the idea that maybe you want to keep this squeaky clean image, this is a great place to send your kids. I, I might argue that when you talk about the increasing competition for players between the Canadian Hockey League and the NCAA 
which brings us to another really interesting development that's going to affect both of those leagues, the NCAA and the Canadian Hockey League. And it appears as though the NCAA is going to recognize its own hypocrisy and decide, well, we can't prevent players from playing in our league just because they played in the Canadian Hockey League. I mean, we've been saying the Canadian Hockey League is a pro league, so they can't come to the NCAA, even though we have this name image and license thing going on over here, NIL, where players can make tens of, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars for their name, image, and likeness being used while in the NCAA. If that's not professional, I don't know what is. What do you make of this one, Dan? Yeah, well, I mean, we've known forever that it was petty and punitive for the NCAA to have that rule anyway. It was nothing to do with the integrity of amateur sport versus pro. It was everything to do with we don't like Canadian Junior because it's our competition. Therefore, we're going to penalize you if you think about it. So that's all it was. And it's been an ongoing thing forever. And, and anyone involved with the NCAA would actually admit that if you got them on a lie detector. That's what it was about. So the way I look at this decision, Mike, if it comes to bear, haven't exactly heard of specifically when a vote might occur, that they might put this to a vote to the members. Don't know if it'll pass or not. I think it's long overdue. There's a lot of concern in Canadian Hockey Loop. So well, what does this mean? To me, it just opens up options for the players. And I think instead of having some of the higher end 16 year olds be concerned about signing with a junior team and potentially hiding in a lower level like uh, junior B or tier two to try and maintain their NCAA eligibility, they could confidently sign in junior. And theoretically, some of them could even jump to the NCAA after their junior career if that's where they want to spend their education amount. So to me, it just opens up options for players. It makes more sense on a lot of levels potentially it could hurt things like Canadian university when you have more kids looking at the NCAA because they can later. So sure. There's, there's none of these decisions are ever made without some consequences for someone somewhere. But to my mind, it just takes away some of the fear and hesitation for some of these younger players about making their choice at a young age and being married to it. So I think that's how it'll play out. I think that Canadian university U sports does get hurt a little bit over this and and one of the other leagues and or levels and you touched on it tier two or junior a hockey in canada where a player might otherwise have hidden himself to avoid being declared a pro it might then leave that league vulnerable it might leave the the ushl a little more vulnerable as yeah. well as a perhaps an unintended consequence of all of this but one of the other things that you touched on look we know that Players coming up in the United States who want to play for the program and are playing for the program are dedicated to the program. And by that, I mean the U.S. Uh, National Team Development Program and are going to going to play there no matter what. And there are other kids growing up that are hell bent on becoming Canadian Hockey League players in either the dub, the O or the Q. And they're going to play there. But there is that kind of mushy middle where you might have opportunities now opened up for players, which I think is just good for the game. I think it's good for both leagues. The one thing, well, two things. The first thing I think we're going to have to be aware of here whenever this vote does happen, and I suspect it will be passed. I do think this will be something we're talking about and, and seeing happen in the years ahead. We're going to have to put some guardrails in place here. So a kid doesn't come into, let's say, uh, major junior in Canada in the CHL as a 16-year-old, you know, highly touted team, 
you know, spends their first round pick on him, et cetera. And then a season later, he's like, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm going to Michigan. And then, oh, well, then I'm going to come back when I'm 19 or play my OA year. Like some sort of guardrail is going to have to be put up around that to protect both leagues from, for lack of a better term here, I'll call it abuse. So that's one thing. The other thing that's going to have to get sorted out here is on the next level up, because right now, the way the rules work, the National Hockey League has up to four years to sign a player coming out of the NCAA. National Hockey League only has two years to sign a player coming out of the Canadian Hockey League. Do they compromise on three for both? I doubt it. Maybe the NCAA comes down to two as well. Either way, the NHL is going to have to figure that part of this out as well. So those are some of the things that I see coming into play. Most importantly will be the guardrails around, you know, some sort of, so it's not a wild, wild West, right? Some sort of rules around where you play and for how long, if you can put it that way. And then the NCAA or the NHL figuring out what it does with these players when it wants to draft them. Yeah. Fair points. And, and, there's still, it's an evolving issue, so I'm not sure we have all the definitive answers right now, but based on what I'm reading, from what I understand, when a player signs in the CHL, for instance, they're still signing a standard development agreement with that club, and they would be, the rights would then be owned by that CHL franchise until, at which point they're either waived or they get to an overage year when they get some rights again to choose their destiny. So we're not talking about, as I understand it, we're not talking about players being able to to skip town at 16 or 17 when they said that NCAA looks better. That would have to be negotiated with a release with their junior team. This would mostly impact overage players who have some choice at that stage or players who are not quite in the core of your team and might look to leave through waivers or some other uh, release. So I think that's the guardrails that I'm hearing in terms of how that might play out. The the this time period, I guess, NHL teams have to sign a player. So that's negotiated between the NHL and each league. So I'm not sure whether that's going to change. Obviously, it's a it's an advantage to the NCAA to have that four year window because I know lots of NHL teams think that way. Well, let's take the if, if it's a toss up in the fourth round here, let's take the NCAA kid because we got four years to make a decision on him. So it would be nice to see that equalized, whether they agree on compromise on three years or whatever the case may be. But right now, it's an advantage for the NCAA players. So that that will get ironed out, I'm sure. But I think at the end of the day. The bottom line is just that, that it, it gives some options for these players. And I think for those that are panicking and saying, well, what's this going to mean for June? What's this going to mean for Canadian University? One thing I just leave everyone with is keep in mind, a wise American uh, coach mentioned this. There are only so many spots in these NCAA teams. And you think of the Macklin Celebrinis and these kids who are 17, 18 and playing a starring role over there. That's not the norm. The norm is these kids often don't become regulars till 19, 20, 21. So it's not going to be an influx of, of the best players going there because most of them aren't going to play at 17 and 18. So that it's better for those kids to be in junior and getting some experience. It might be later on they move over or the handful of kids that, that want to get the NCAA schedule and education package. But there is a limited number of spots on these good teams, Mike, and you're, not, you're just not going to see a landslide of players leaving through this. It's just going to be a little bit more open for the playing field for those kids to have decisions. One more thing I'll add to this, and I'll just ask you to put a pin in so you remember where you heard it. Kind of like when we told you about the Mississauga move to Brampton many weeks before somebody from some high-ranking sports network decided to share it, and then it became bigger news. And that's okay. We understand how it works. We're just the OHL podcast after all. But when we talk about 
junior A hockey, uh, tier two, the lower level, maybe being negatively impacted in all of this. Another connection to that is if it is, there are already cracks starting to show up in the system, and this gets a little political, but it's under the Hockey Canada umbrella. And in British Columbia, the BCHL has actually left and come out from under that umbrella. And I am hearing like all kinds of rumblings, not just little murmurs, but all kinds of rumblings, even in junior B and tier two or junior A loops here in Ontario as well, that may be done with the Hockey Canada umbrella. So that I think it's a bit of an aside, but just keep that in mind as all of this moves forward and and sort of the, the foundations of hockey organizations as we've come to know them start to show a few cracks in the years ahead. Yeah, and it's a really good point with what's going on with the BCHL. And they're, it, again, an emerging fluid story, if you will. But uh, I think the Hockey Canada umbrella in general has had a turbulent few years. And I think this is uh, the the part that's been in the press is obvious. Everyone understands what's going on there. They needed to revamp everything they're doing on that end. This is kind of flying under the radar, but a lot of organizations, a lot of hockey players, a lot of hockey people throughout the country have had some issues with how the administrative wing of Hockey Canada has worked for years. So they're fighting battles on a couple fronts, and Hockey Canada has to kind of evolve and modernize here to address these concerns, which they hadn't up until very recently. All right. Charlie had a question that he wanted answered, and I'm going to encourage you to be like Charlie. Send us an email anytime ohl podcast at rogers.com we'll get directly to charlie's question coming up also goaltending in both kingston and ottawa pounding the peats those funny flint firebirds and your definitive ranking of media rooms across the ontario hockey league not to mention our prospects of the week still to come on this episode of the ohl podcast All right, Dan, let me start with Charlie's email. As I mentioned, he gets right to the point when he writes to OHLpodcast at rogers.com. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I just want to ask the big question. What the hell is going on with the Kitchener Rangers? I'll just leave it right there. You want to start that one, Dan? Well, I think like any of these things, it's a nuanced, complex answer, right? It's not one thing. It's not, oh, well, this guy is has not played well. It's, it's a lot of things. And the Kitchener Rangers were not supposed to be good this year. So everyone kind of expected a little bit of a coming down to earth. This has been a bit of a harsh crash and it's been, the factors have been injuries and absences, some cold streaks, obviously you had Carson Rakoff go nine goal, nine games without a goal. You had a lot of, there's a bit of a general cool down among some of the players that have been really hot before Christmas. I think when you look at the root causes, a lot of those things, I mean, they had Tomas Hamara who they moved. They had Roman Schmidt who they moved. Those pieces on D logged a lot of minutes against tough matchups and they left themselves a little thin and exposed on D. And especially when you lose first round pick Cameron Reed, who is one of your best skaters exiting the zone, getting the puck up the ice. That's three pieces missing from the D and suddenly you're putting a lot of minutes on Hunter Brustevich, a lot of minutes on Matthew Andonovsky starting to crack a little. You have rookies like Max Diracolo playing, have, has a little bit of trouble with the wide speed when he's playing against tougher matchups. All those things are starting to factor in. And then, of course, the trade deadline, too. Kitchener decided to bring in Edward Chalet and, and Olivier Savard from Barry. Theoretically good additions. I don't think we've seen Chalet hit his stride yet by any stretch. Um, kind of 
looks a little lost trying to figure out his lines. Not not the guy that's going to go dig out pucks from the corner, not that high compete level guy. So I think the rest of the lineup's kind of trying to figure that out, who fits where. So I think that anyway, that, that's a long answer, Mike, to say, I think there's a number of things right now that are a bit of a concern for the Kitchener Rangers. It's certainly not panic time. They'll figure it out. There's still a lot of talent there, but I, the little things that were happening earlier in the year in terms of the confidence of, of playing aggressively, playing fast, those things have been uh, dropping off consistently over the last month and i think that they're just going to have to find that that extra gear again so i'm not sure what your thoughts are but i think there's a lot going on we didn't talk about this ahead of time did we we did not those <laughs> are exactly my thoughts for me like it it really begins and ends because you're right it's complex it's nuanced it's not one player or two players it's a combination of factors and look I don't think either of us are here. I can say this with confidence to carry water for the Kitchener Rangers. They can carry their own. But for me, it, it begins and ends with the blue line. There was at one time four NHL drafted players on that blue line with Tomas Hamara and Roman Schmidt being a part of it. Now there are two. And this occurred to me as I watched Roman Schmidt on the weekend in a game versus the Kitchener Rangers now playing for Kingston. And not that he was a huge factor, but boy, oh boy, was he on the ice a lot. And so you just think the trickle down effect of that, the additional minutes and stress being put on other players who are asked to do more. Palmer gets traded away, young players being asked to do more than they would have otherwise. And then do not underestimate. And I will pump this kid's tires because he's a special player as a 16 year old the impact that Cameron Reed makes on that Rangers blue line. So he goes out for, I think he's into four weeks now with the injury. Yeah. Add in some suspensions, you name it. And there's just been a variety of factors. There's no question that the Kitchener Rangers need to get it straightened out. And thank goodness for them and their fans that they had the start that they had. But anyway, I could just keep going on and parroting what you said, Dan, that's exactly the way I see it, but I will just emphasize again, Remember the name Cameron Reed. You can call me biased if you want to. Really special hockey player. Going to be a lot of fun to watch in this league in the years ahead. Okay, a couple of goaltenders I wanted to make mention of, and it just so happened I saw them both this weekend. But Mason Vicari, I mean, he's, he's no Aaron Molnar, okay, who played all 68 games for the London Knights a little over 20 years ago. But Mason Vicari is, is on his way to becoming – one of those couple handfuls. It's a it's a fairly rarefied group that has played 60 of the 68 games or started, pardon me, 60 of the 68 games for a hockey club. But that's the pace that Mason Vicari finds himself on with the Kingston Frontenacs right now. He's started 43 of the first 50. And clearly, you want to talk about carrying water. He's carrying the water or carrying the mail for the Kingston Frontenacs. And then Ian Micheloni, what a nice story this kid is in Ottawa right now. I remember earlier in the season, and Dan, we probably mentioned it on this podcast, the struggles that the Windsor Spitfires were having, the struggles that led to the premature departure of Jared Smith, who was just hired this year. But one of the, the glaring weaknesses for the Windsor Spitfires was in goal. They, they couldn't get a save when they needed a save. And I'm not trying to rag on anybody, but that just seemed to be the way it was going. Well, Micheloni gets traded from Windsor to the Ottawa 67s. And 
in eight starts, he's got seven wins. He only had five wins in 17 starts with the Windsor Spitfires. So he's already got more wins in half the number of starts. He's running at a 903 save percentage and a 279 goals against average. What a difference the trade has made for Ian Micheloni. Love to see it. Thought I'd bring it up. Well, it's a great point, Mike, because when you look at look at last year with Jacob Oster and Patrick Lever switching spots and both have been struggling mightily, and sometimes that change of scenery makes a huge difference for a lot of reasons. It's a mental reset. It's all those things. But don't discount the impact of a team or a coach having confidence in you and, and a guy like Micheloni maybe not quite facing as many grade-A chances, not not getting down two or three nothing in the first and just shattering his, his own confidence. So when you have that that backing and that support of your team, suddenly the skill that got you there rises to the top. And I think we're seeing that from, from Ian Micheloni and uh and Vicari too, who the Kingston Frontenacs needed him to step up, right? They weren't they weren't necessarily getting a lot of quality minutes from the other goaltenders. Uh, in the organization so they needed someone to kind of take those reins and run with them so and he, and he has done so so yeah kudos to both those guys speaking of micheloni i may have to start slowly walking back my bold prediction from a couple to a few weeks ago about the windsor spitfires but i'll get to that in just a moment i know dan you wanted to touch on the peterborough Peets and some other lopsided scores you've been seeing lately yeah just 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 a note of some really crooked scores last last week. We we kind of saw it from Peterborough on a few outings. The the eight twos, the eight ones. We're getting some of that. Hold your breath, Peterborough fans. You knew this was coming. They sold off. They've gone with a very young team. Your payoff's going to be in two to three years. We know that it's going to be a painful couple months. So that that one is just a note that uh, when people look and say, ah, that's that's getting ugly in Peterborough. It was ugly by design. Those kids are getting the experience. They'll be fine. But you've You've seen a, a 12-1 Niagara over the Ice Dogs. We saw those Kingston Frontenacs who just beat the Kitchen Rangers on Friday night, then turn around and lose 9-0 to North Bay. Um, I'm seeing some some crooked scores, and I don't know if it's just the dog days hitting the last game on a weekend. Some of these teams just basically mail it in. But those, those are tough watches for the fans. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned Niagara's loss up in North Bay, 12-1. to All I was going to say is that because I, I think I've – I'm sticking to my rule on the podcast until they do a little something different. So I was just going to point out that it was an absolutely dreadful weekend for a team just this side of the state of Buffalo or the state of New York, pardon me. And I'll, I'll leave it right there. Uh, the nine, it's interesting. You bring up the nine, nothing loss for Kingston after they open their weekend with a win on home ice. That might be, that might have a little something to do with a, kind of a scheduling quirk so Kingston just get this was home on Friday night in Barrie on Saturday night and then in North Bay on Super Bowl Sunday afternoon not only that and we talked last week about three and threes and whether or not we need to reevaluate this but not only was Kingston playing three and three but the aforementioned North Bay Battalion who beat that team from just this side of New York State 12-1 on Thursday night did not play Friday, did not play Saturday, so sat at home all weekend and waited for a tired Kingston team to show up on Sunday. And you might have even been able to predict the 9 nothing final in that one. Anyway, just a little oddity in the scheduling. It happens to all teams at one time or another, but it happened to the Kingston Frontenacs this weekend. It's too bad because they're, they're in a race where every point really does matter. The other thing I wanted to mention just in passing was kind of those uh, – 
funny Flint Firebirds. A few weeks ago, they pick up back-to-back weekend wins. So Craig sends us an email to ohlpodcast at rogers.com. He's like, hey, I'm pumped about my team. Do a little something about my team. So then I go and and uh, piss all over the team because they're coming off two weekend losses. And I'm like, yeah, Craig, like I, I love your enthusiasm, but... And then after I'm finished pissing on the Flint Firebirds, they go out and win two more weekend games this past weekend and against good teams in Oshawa and Brantford. So maybe I'll talk less and read Craig's emails more. I don't know, but I thought that was kind of funny from Flint. Win two, lose two, win two again. Yeah, and you know what? The Flint Firebirds are in that little battle for the last playoff spot in the West, and that's going to be an interesting watch come down the road too because it's not a, a, a battle of who wants it least like it is sometimes uh, years. You see teams losing four to five and who's going to lose the least. Uh, no, they're actually there's some pretty good hockey being played amongst those teams, and it's actually going to be a fight to get in the playoffs. So we'll look for that in Flint. All right. We still do have our prospects of the week coming, but because it has been requested, because you asked for this, I am going to share with you my definitive media room rankings in the Ontario Hockey League. We will go in descending order from the worst at number 20 to tops at number one. And I want to preface this by simply saying all I think a team should do, and I mean should do, is provide a warm cup of coffee and a little bite of something to eat. Slice of pizza, a little sandwich, something. Not just for the media, but for scouts that are coming to see a team. If you think about games that start at 7 o'clock on the media side, we have to have all of our interviews done within 90 minutes of puck drop. So by 5.30. So what time are we showing up at the rink? Well, around 5 o'clock, 4.45, kind of dinner time. Same for a 2 o'clock start on a Sunday. What time are we showing up at the rink? 11.45, 2 o'clock to get everything, or 11.45 noon to get everything done by 12.30. It's lunchtime. That's all I'm saying. And and scouts would be the same, right? They're not showing up five minutes before a game. Give them a place to sit. Give them a place to gather. And this is one of the other things that I think is really important. A space, this is the best part for my money of being in a rink. A space where you can comfortably sit around and talk to the other people at the game. You can obviously talk to your media colleagues if you're working like I am. Get some intel from them. But the best conversations are with the other coaches managers and particularly scouts that are in those rooms it really just i think brings more life to the event itself and gives us a ton more information to our jobs better so with all of that said we do get spoiled in some places which is why i tend to go on a time to time about the places that really do spoil us and by no means does that have to be the bar but they're setting it they're setting it higher than they need to and i love them for it so let's run through these i'll keep the reasons why brief but we'll start at number 20 going down number 20 is barry because they took their media room away this year you get nothing number 19 brantford same reason not really the bulldogs fault because they moved into this itty bitty arena but they don't have a media room so how can i possibly rank it at number 18 niagara at least they stepped up their game this year from having a plate of chips and some coffee but it's it's pretty weak and it doesn't seem to have much life to it in terms of people being there. Number 17, Ottawa. You got to be quick when you get to the nation's capital because the food might be gone. And again, is the food the most important part? No. One of my colleagues said this weekend while we were there that they felt like they were interrupting a meeting because they've got this itty bitty, it's almost like a, a conference room that you'd see at an office building somewhere. And there's no room to do anything. You're elbow to elbow. So, and 
if you don't get there quick enough, they used to do St. Hubert's chicken in there. There might've been six boxes. People loved it and they'd show up early just to get one of the boxes. So Ottawa comes in at number 17 or fourth worst. Number 16 is Sudbury, kind of in the bowels of the arena, not very well laid out, but hey, at least they give you a, a piece of pizza. Number 15 is Mississauga. Sometimes there's pizza, sometimes there's not. There's definitely not plates. And occasionally you'll get a donut, but meh. Number 14 is Sarnia. Sometimes there's pizza. Sometimes the pizza has made people sick. There's no room though to gather and have a conversation with anybody about anything. So Sarnia comes in at number 14. Number 13 is London. I always think about the movie Moneyball when I think about the London Knights and the media. Remember the quote that uh, the owner of the Oakland A's likes to keep their money on the field. So David Justice had to buy soda from the soda machine. The London Knights like to keep their money on the ice. They're, they're interested in the hockey operations. The room is fantastic, but it's not, and there's always people in it, which helps, but it's not the best layout and you can't really sit down and sometimes there's food, sometimes there's not, but the coffee is pretty good. Uh, numbers 12 through four, the next nine, I would just lump in there together that just do exactly what you need a media room to do. Nothing special about it, but you got the food, you got this and that, and I'll tell you why I ranked them the way that I do. So number 12 comes in with Erie, really great layout, usually pretty good in the food department, great space to gather and talk to people. Number 11 is North Bay. They don't make the top 10 because they've got the worst coffee in the league, hands down. Number 10 is Guelph. They do a really nice job. It's always active and full. The food is decent, but the room is just too damn small. You, you can barely work while you're in there and it helps to have a place to work. Number nine, Flint, similar to Guelph. Really nice spread, decent place for the media room, no place to gather, itty bitty little tables, you can't get anything done. Number eight, Peterborough. Sometimes they have popcorn and they also always have Mike Davies, one of the best beat writers you'll find in this league. Love the guy. Number seven is Owen Sound, the lovely Bayshore Community Center in Owen Sound. Perfect layout, everything you need, including if you get there early enough, some chocolate chip cookies, gotta love it. Huge cups of coffee. Owen Sound comes in at number seven. Number six is Kingston. Just went there. Have they ever upped their game? They might be going a little bit on the extravagant side of the food, but a beautiful building all around. I wish some fans would show up in it. Great layout in the media room. Really good food. Now into your top five. Number five, the Windsor Spitfires. Still to this day, it used to be both... Uh, Bob Bugner and Warren Reichel's mothers who were helping out in the media room. Bob's mom is still around a little bit serving. Great layout, great place to gather, get some intel. Number four, Oshawa. Again, beautiful room, lots of space, always guaranteed to have some Timbits. That's never a bad thing. Number three, might be controversial among my media colleagues, but I'm putting Saginaw in at number three. They have all the food that you should not eat, but you do because it's delicious, including Jet's Pizza, pies for dessert. It's unreal. They even have to put up a sign now that says, please only take one plate of food so there's plenty for, or there's food for others. There's so much food in that media room. You could help out the soup kitchen after the game. That's at number three. Number two, Sault Ste. Marie. Mainly, I mean, it's, it's like two and two A with the Sioux and Saginaw. The spread is always great. One time we had an afternoon game in the Sioux. They brought in like bacon and eggs, kind of like a brunch. Really nice. But the what put the Sioux just over Saginaw for me is they've got the soup ladies. 
a couple of sweet elderly ladies. The minute you walk into that media room in Sault Ste. Marie, they ask you if you want a hot bowl of soup and they'll bring it right over to your table. Incredible stuff. And I know how this is going to sound and you can at me all you want on Twitter. You can email me. I'll give you my phone number, but I'm telling you number one, and there's not even a contest anymore is the Kitchener Rangers. They got a new caterer a year ago, village caterer in Kitchener. Toby and Megan put so much effort into their food. They have provided in a media room at a junior hockey game, a full turkey dinner. I'm talking cranberry sauce, stuffing, mashed potatoes, the whole works. I don't know how you top that. Is it extravagant? Is it over the top? Hell yes, it is. But that makes you number one, in my opinion. And there you have the definitive media room rankings. If you need any more detail, just email ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Because, Dan, people needed to know. There you have it. You know, that's awesome. Well, now we have a ranking. And now we have something for those teams to aspire to, to move up the rankings, just like the top 10. So there exactly. you go. Exactly. You, you, want, you want to go for the full-on turkey dinner at some point, and that'll try to knock Kitchener out of the number one spot. Okay, got to get to our prospects of the week. The much meatier issue here before we wrap it up. Who you got, Dan? So I'm going to go a little off the uh, beaten path here, Mike, because I like to highlight guys that are a little overlooked. Uh, playing in markets that aren't having an up year. So I'm looking down the road to Sarnia and I look at a team that was supposed to be terrible, supposed to miss the playoffs with a bullet. Not only are they in a playoff spot currently, they're battling other 10 points up on Windsor. They're a shade ahead of, of Flint right now. They're right in that fight. And I look, so I like to look at why are they doing that? And an 05 born player skipped over in his draft year, really coming onto the radar now is Easton Wainwright. And I just love the game this guy is playing right now. There's a kid that looked at his opportunity. They moved out some players. He's getting a little more ice, little harder matchups. What's he doing with it? Eight points in the last five games, 10 in his last 10, a plus player, just driving to play a, a nonstop work ethic. And you can see it come out when he's had his overtime game winner recently where there's only three players on the ice for each side. You can get exposed if you're not... Uh, at that caliber and what does he do goes out and just keeps that engine chugging so a uh, shout out to uh to a little spark plug who's putting his name on the map for potential scouts which is easton wainwright so who you got mike excellent choice and you reminded me when i was slowly walking back my bold prediction of windsor making the playoffs i was thinking about flint winning a couple of big games again this weekend the gap i think is too much for windsor to make up flint and sarnia appear to be jockeying for that final playoff spot Great call on Wainwright. I'm also going to a market that's having a down year, maybe not getting the attention. Heck, I just gave them the worst grade of all when it comes to media rooms. But I'm going to go to Barry and talk about Cole Baudouin. I know you identified him way back in the summer, Dan, as a guy you had your eye on. He's currently riding a 12-game point streak, seven goals, 10 assists over that stretch. And even in the past six games, the Colts, don't overlook them. Two OT losses, including one to the Saginaw Spirit, plus three wins in that stretch. And Baudouin is uh, sort of the offensive straw that's stirring the drink here for the Colts. So Cole Baudouin is my prospect of the week. Great choice, too. I just loved what he did for Team Canada back in the summer. And I think that that's a kid who some scout's going to make his team very happy by advocating for him, pulling him out of a team that hasn't had a great year. And suddenly they're going to find a surprise at training camp. So. I had a an old mentor in this business once tell me that you have to do something to set yourself apart if you want to find success in broadcasting. I don't think there's another major junior podcast that gives you a definitive 
media rank a media room ranking so we've got that going for us now and any other stuff behind the scenes or otherwise that you want to know just shoot us an email ohlpodcast at rogers.com uh dan we're into the 50s games played now playoffs are going to be here before we know it it's a good time of season uh favorite time so just get through the dog days for another week or two and once the calendar turns to march it's all intensity so fashion seatbelts please Give us a review, uh, ranking, uh, subscribe, like, all of those good things on YouTube, on Instagram, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Let us know where you're listening to us from, and please continue doing so. We love having you along. Email address is ohlpodcast at rogers.com. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell. Thanks for listening to the OHL Podcast. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.